Hi, my name is Divya and welcome to Articulate. Articulate is a podcast for students of art that I have started in order to create an archive and a community for them to dip into for ideas and inspiration. I speak with artists across continents and genres about themselves and how they see their art in today's world context. In today's episode, I will be talking with the lovely Louise Grundy. Louise is an artist, entrepreneur, social worker and educator all in one. She studied 3D design at the University of Brighton and textile construction at City and Guilds. She has been a teacher and workshop leader for over 25 years and has previously worked for the Surrey Youth Service and the Hampshire Cultural Trust. Louise has been in various residencies where she initiated practical training courses in art for teachers. She works primarily in sculpture, creating layered paper portraits inspired by archival material and family history. Louise explores the stories behind both famous and not so famous faces and is well known for her Ancestry Heads project, a series of sculptural heads drawing on the themes of history and memory. The Ancestry Heads project started in 2016 and she has since uh, created over 30 sculptural portraits for exhibitions and private commissions. Fantastic. Hello, Louise. Welcome to Articulate. Thank you. Thanks for doing this. Um, And uh, I'm so delighted to have you as a guest on my podcast. And I love your uh, work. I love the work that you do. I really admire your whole, the philosophy behind your project, which is why I wanted to share this with the rest of the world, so so to speak. So we usually start off by talking about letting the guests talk about themselves and their backgrounds and where they were brought up and what kind of influences you had, etc. So could you say a little bit about yourself? Yeah, well, I was brought up in the Surrey Hills, uh, where I still am, or in Surrey. Um, I have had a father was who, that was an architect and a mother who's a frustrated artist. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, we were always allowed to be creative because my mum wasn't allowed to be creative very much when she was little. Um, and uh, I went to school around here and, yeah, I can't remember what else. Yeah. My dad, my dad always brought us up to look, which was always very important. Yeah, uh, we'd go down the road on a journey, and he'd say, "What, what's that lady wearing? What was she wearing? What colour was her hat? What colour was her?" So we were always brought up as to be observant, and we were always allowed to have a go, whether it was a drawing board or a pair of scissors or stitching. So, and my mum was always creating, she always had the, we lived on an estate when we were growing up, mum always had the kids in in the holidays to do the latest Blue Peter, which is a children's creative programme here in the UK. Um, we always had the latest project, whether it be a snowman or a windmill or whatever. Mm-hmm. And the whole kitchen would be full of children being creative. So, That's... yeah, my sister and I were brought up in this very creative atmosphere where we could always have a go at something that's so wonderful big ben so that's so fresh, refreshing to hear because many of the people that i speak to 
uh, are usually the only people who are interested in art and nobody else understands what they're all about and they have to literally you know fight their way into into their career so to speak so it's so nice to hear that respect was given to art artistic nature to creativity and you had it was like a natural progression for you to think of going into the arts anyways when you um, went into college was it yeah yeah it, well um, I'm dyslexic and um, I found it's the best way for me to communicate um, my mum fought for me so I could get the right qualifications to go to art school and yet it was there was no um, are you sure I mean it I was going to do a foundation and carry on and do the rest of the So, um, uh, this was when? This was the uh, 70s, was it? Was it? Yeah, 1970s. So, dyslexia was considered to be like um, uh, a valid condition no. those days? No, How... I, I wasn't diagnosed, if that's the right word, mm. until an American English teacher came to our school and said, I think you're dyslexic. And I oh, went, okay. what? What's that? That's such um, a nice thing. Mm. Yeah, it wasn't uh, in the vocabulary of my school. But if my mum got somebody to coach me because she knew. Um, and I learned to read when I was six, but it wasn't an issue. We just sort of managed you know, around it. Yeah, yeah, we all got around it. And um, mum always wanted me confident in something. So that's what she did. She pushed the good things and the other things came along too. Oh. Um, I was actually diagnosed when I was 17. I was given the 12 to 16 year old test by the Surrey uh, educational psychologist, which was a very old man, I remember. And he asked me all these questions, which I took my mum along to. And he said, why have you brought your mother? And I said, because I don't know all, all the answers. Like, when did you tie your shoelaces? Oh. He gave me special dispensation for difficult words. Well, anyone who's got dyslexia knows the difficult words aren't the issue. They're the ones you learn, and you learn in a way you know how to do it. The easy words that catch you out. Right, right. So did that kind of um, fill you up with confidence uh, to think that you are, you know, you are good, but then it's just that your mind works differently? Or did you ever think about it as a, something that held you back? Um, I think it helped me back when I was at primary school and, and yeah, secretary. I knew there was something not, I wasn't the same as everyone else, but in my adulthood, and I think nowadays it's much more, you know, that dyslexia is seen as a strength. Yeah. We've got dyslexics in our family and it's a big strength. Yeah. All the people that were dyslexia, dyslexic in the world, we wouldn't have all these amazing things like electricity or psychology if it wasn't for dyslexics. Picasso was dyslexic, you know. Oh gosh, yeah. All these different people. So I think we just, you know, not, people who are not dyslexic think forwards and people who are dyslexic look sideways and come to a problem in a completely different way. So I think that's why a lot of dyslexics are entrepreneurs or artists because they get that then they can do think it the way they want to think it rather than the way it has to be done it, it seems like it's a strength nowadays now isn't it and now when you say it that way isn't it so um yeah so tell us where you why did you choose um brighton university was there any particular reason and what did you study there you said well, did my foundation at farnham, farnham College, yeah now called I can't remember. University of Arts Farnham, I think it's called. That's it. Yeah. And um, 
then um, I was thinking about doing textiles, but um, apparently I had a three-dimensional brain, which was unusual for a woman, according to the Farnham department this is like we're talking about in the early 80s here mm-hmm. like my age and um, they I, they encouraged me to go and do 3d design at brighton so i did 3d design in wood metals plastics and ceramics which i think is one of the longest titles for a degree i don't think they call it that anymore why didn't they just call it sculpture like they do nowadays it's because it, it was an artist cross led so you you could do woodwork metal work ceramics or plastic so it was yeah it was artist craft person led okay. rather than sculpture the sculpture is a different department i see i see yeah, yeah that that uh, that will lead me to another question about art and crafts and the difference and what you think about that but that's for later so um uh did you enjoy the course and um uh, why did why didn't you pursue that particular line after the um I, no i didn't enjoy the course i actually tried to leave and was um, encouraged not to leave because in those days students were i suppose they still are money but it was a slightly different way that it was all funded and i i actually wanted to leave the first christmas and my dad and a whole load of men and a one woman all in a room and they all persuaded me to stay which I did and I stayed to the end because a degree is a degree yeah and um yeah I was homesick and I really wanted to do textiles but in those days I didn't know that's what I wanted to do mm. didn't know it, it's very different today we don't realize how like we've got the internet now so you look it up you look it up you look it up I mean when I went to art school you had to write and ask for the prospectus then you've got the prospectus and you looked at the prospectus and so that's all you got yeah nobody said to you oh you could do textiles or you could do this or you could do that mm. so you had to know that art college existed so if you didn't know there was one in Timbuktu you didn't know it was there you've got no way of knowing it was there so what so about the foundation though pardon uh, the foundation was meant for you to understand what you really want to do isn't it so yeah but i think in those days it, it was run by older people who were very creative and like, it was a lovely environment but i think you know they've got a, hundreds of students and they need to put you in a pigeonhole so they put you in whereas today i think you know it mm-hmm. might i might have been put in my pigeonhole and that but then i would have um researched it more yeah and i was very painfully shy in those days yeah like, you, you can't imagine that now but <laughs> i was i you know wouldn't say boo to a goose and i did what i was told by my parents and, and it was a different time to the time we do now absolutely you know, right now yeah Hopefully people listen to their parents but they don't always do <laughs> <laughs> yeah so um and then um yeah from then on you went on to the to the textile construction was it well i finished so, right i specialized in wood and plastics at um, brighton which today is completely different i mean we didn't have laser cutters for a start mm. completely different i probably would have enjoyed it more with if laser cutters existed but they didn't in those days well if they did you know we weren't allowed them mm-hmm. um so I once decided when I came out of uni I had a year working at home and I found that the local art ed education um center did city and guilds in textile construction so I decided I wanted to do textile construction because I really enjoyed textiles 
And so over a part-time two-year course, I did that as well as, and then I got a full-time job and did that as well as doing the City and Guilds. My sister actually joined me in the, in the second year and she actually went on to art school after it. So, so it brought her creativity again. So the textile construction meant you learned everything about the building of textile, the weaving and the weaving, making of cloth. Make, and... Making, use, knitting, crochet, tatting. Um, natural dyes, fabric dyes. I mean, my loft for years was full of equipment. I could mm. spin, but all these things all um, sort of add up. Yeah, over five years, you must have ratcheted up an amazing variety of skills and craftsmanship, isn't it? Yeah, it's all about getting different things you learn, don't you? Well, that's how I do it. I like to learn new things, take it on board, and might not use it there and then, but it will pop out somewhere along the line and you suddenly realise, oh, I learnt that when I was 20 at art college or whatever. Mm. Yeah. So um, tell us about your uh, career, so to speak. How did it come to this point? How where did you work? And I know you've done a lot of things, teaching, <laughs> and, yeah. um, being the head of a art centre and... Uh, you know, taking care of old people. So, yeah. yeah, why don't you just tell us how, um, that's that's really resourceful, isn't it? To keep trying different things. One to one is to make money and the other is to understand where your interest really lies and then realizing it's not there and doing something else. So it's a, it's a real inspiration to, not to fail, but then to keep trying and then not judge yourself if it didn't, didn't work out and do something else. Yeah, I think that's very, and I think that you're able to do that more in this these days. Whereas yeah. when, we, when I was younger, you went to the bank, you were a teacher, and that's what you did. But and I was fortunate; I had a family that were quite. Um, they weren't old fashioned; they were quite forward thinking. So I, um, after working for myself, making shop signs and toy boxes uh, for at home for a year, I then got a job work doing uh, presentations for architects and I made brochures and um, did that for five years. We used an enormous colour photocopier the size of a, a, a small car mm-hmm. and uh, we were like first to, to do these presentations. Now it's sort of natural. I used to do it all with letter set or get us, had to send all the copy away to be set. None oh. of these computers. The computers came in as I, start, I, I left really. So I, I learned the basics before I left. So interesting. So much more yeah. interesting than computers, I think. <laughs> <laughs> is it uh, is it re- Rezo printing what you did or something else? Because it was just, uh, No, we sent away, if you were, wanted something printed at the printers, you had to send it away to a, a letter Letter set, of course, yeah, yeah, yeah. But they were using computers and cut and paste, uh, but physical cut and paste. They were cut, cutting yeah, yeah. the paper. But um, yeah, that's so we. That's what we used to do, and then we started to get computers and graphic designers in my department that actually knew how to use a computer graphically. Um, yeah, we had uh, all sorts of things. So yeah, I, when I left there to have a baby, and I carried on doing freelance graphic design from home. I did people's mailing lists and business cards and things like that. I always sold Tupperware and DK books. <laughs> Things like that, or children's clothes, you know, little jobs like that while the children were growing up. But all the time I was still making things, um, making clothes or being 
you know, always doing something, decorating, making curtains. And then um, I, a friend said I should teach children art. So I started doing it in, at home in my garage, which was my studio. My husband converted it for me. And then um, I got a job at the local art centre and I was the Saturday morning art club lady mm-hmm. every other Saturday morning for an hour and a half. And I had lots of children, who now, a lot of which are now art school or beyond that, which is great. Yeah. Um, but I let them be creative, let them have fun. Um, yeah, it was about letting them be, do the art rather than me do the art for them. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I got off. But that makes again. you think, isn't it? You have to plan for these classes. It's not easy to keep them engaged every week. <laughs> they have to come back to you because they're interested. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Each week had a theme, and but then some weeks were just mad. Like I'd roll out paper, and they take their shoes and socks off and run up and down and make a you know on the paper print with paint on their feet. Nice. So, you know, and then draw into it and things like that. Great fun. Yeah. Things you can't really do at home on the carpet. Yeah. Um, then I got a job at the art centre doing a bit of admin for just three weeks and it ended up with me there two years and then um, then I got sort of promoted within the um, art centre and then um, I worked in a school do, as a DT teacher. I was going in to be the art, after school art club person and the DT teacher left so I got a phone call in Sainsbury's saying you've got a degree in 3D design, can yeah. you do it? Mm-hmm. So I did that for two terms. I didn't like that. I didn't like teaching people who really didn't want to be there. I'm be- better at teaching people who want yeah. to be there. You know, they want to come to a workshop or not, not be forced. 13-year-old boys frisking them for screwdrivers and oh, things before they left. It's not, not me. Yeah. And also trying to remember which parent is belongs to which child is a nightmare when you're dyslexic. You're oh, like, yeah. Right. Yeah. It was an experience and I, I enjoyed it to a point, but it wasn't for me. And I went back to the art centre and eventually I ran the art centre for, uh, I can't remember how long now, quite a while. Um, and then that made me ill. So I, and the, they were going to, there's two of us running it. It was a job share, but it was a full-time job share, really. It was very busy. Right? So you we said had you had no weekends and you were... Literally on no, your... No weekends, yeah. yeah. I'd be sitting there watching Strictly with my children or something, get a phone call to say, we've had a power cut, what shall I do? Like, mm. Evacuate the building might be a good idea. <laughs> oh, yeah. So, you know, things like that. And then you have all the worry about how you're going to give everyone back their money. And, yeah, and then all the health and safety. And it was run... We had uh, part-time staff who like duty managers and then we had um, volunteers who ran the bar and did the box office and that that sounds wonderful you know 75 volunteers but volunteers are volunteers it's what it says on the can and if they get a better offer they quite often say oh I can't make it on Saturday night and then Mm. you've got 250 people wanting a beer and no volunteer but yeah most of the time it was great but sometimes it was a bit stressful Mm. But, um, yeah, and then I, it made, I started to get stressed. I started shouting. And so um, I, I left the art centre, and that's when I realised that I'd been so busy managing the art centre. You'd think it was a lovely, creative thing. You'd see all these art artists. I met amazing people. I met 
Eric Clapton and oh, Shaky Stevens. And oh my God! Yeah, the big stream. Um, and you know. Yeah, uh, they all live in Surrey, don't they? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> artists and poets and all sorts of things. But well, you're you know all that lovely. You're not actually. I wasn't actually being creative myself, and that was the downfall, I think, of me. Mm. I didn't. I stopped teaching by that time and got other people to do what I've been doing creatively. So that I think was the key. Um, so did you realize I, it then, or do you think back in retrospect now that that was the issue? In in, in retrospect, mm, yeah. Mm. At the time, I just thought it was just well, there was a lot of pressure. We were we never had enough uh, art. Uh, never had enough money, um, but we you know it was when I left the art center was doing much better. But it was always a worry. You know, you'd think you were all right, and then the boilers would break, and then mm. you had to find money for boilers. It's not like the boiler you have at home. It's like, you know, they're enormous things. So, yeah, it was always something. But, um, and then I um, worked in old people's home as the activities coordinator mm-hmm. for a year, um, which was interesting. I met a 96-year-old man who um, came to my painting on, on glass, glass and to find out that he was very talented Wow. And he never knew. It was the first time he'd ever done anything artistically. He was a greengrocer. He liked amateur dramatics, but he'd never painted. So it was a, it was sort of a mixed thing, really, that you found out at 96 that you could draw when mm. you maybe you could have drawn all your life. Mm. Um, and then I had a lady who was very old as well, and I watched... She was apparently a, a very famous... I don't know her name. I, if I did, I couldn't tell you. Um, a print designer in the 60s and I watched her decline and the fact she couldn't work out which end the paintbrush how it worked wow Um, yeah and she that happened very quickly and that was very sad because you can visualize yourself in that situation but yeah I'd have to show which end the brush was so that was quite that's interesting you say that because my mum was a very good artist uh, when she was young and then she gave it up for some reason. And now, now that she has so much time, I tell her to pick it up again. But she d- just doesn't want to do it. I think it's because she thinks that if she starts doing art again, she might feel that, oh my God, all those years that I didn't do it, I'm, I've kind of wasted my those years. And she'll probably have regrets. And I think she's just kind of cut off from it. So I'm. it's good that, uh, you know, these elderly people are my, my mum mm. um, used to paint when I was a teenager go to painting classes and things like that mm. she gave it up and then she started again in her 70s right middle 70s but came a commission and still is at, she's I must tell my mum this in her middle 80s now she still gets commissions for dog portraits oh my god so, so that's know, so inspiring yeah. isn't it? <laughs> not very she gets them occasionally now because she's not looking for them but yeah, so she wasn't doing anything, and then suddenly, and she says, oh, what, I said, mum, doesn't matter, you know, this is now, carry on, and so that's what she does, she paints pictures of animals in oils, little mm-hmm. pictures, they are, they are very good, mm-hmm. yeah, Fantastic. and she loves it, mm-hmm. and her day goes by really quickly when she's painting. And then you get a kick when you get more commissions, people want your portraits, it's amazing. Yeah, yeah. So um, I always ask my artist um, guests about the, you know, what they think about this hierarchy of arts over crafts. And 
art is something that is um comes with emotion and feeling and talent and craft is something that you learn and you make for functional things so um what do you have anything to say because you've done a mix of both you've gone to art school and you've done um a lot of learned a lot of technique so, and now you're doing a mix of both so do you have any thoughts on that and do you think that there should be a kind of um hierarchy so to, so to speak that you know crafts people are have their etsy season artists have their um, artists um, coffee table books and yeah. <laughs> art fairs and i think we should be called creative people maybe mm. and not have a distinction what i mean we are creatives and we you should all have skills i mean we spoke um the other day about that that doing a degree now can, in art can be all about talking and not about doing. Yes. Well, to me, that's silly, because why? if you don't get taught how to mix colours and things like that, you you don't... I mean, Picasso had to learn how to paint, you know, real-life life drawing, you know, when he was... Yeah. Lucky him, he did it when he was a young lad with his dad. But all these... Are, they, and then he was able, because he had that background of technique and know how to mix paint yeah. and he could go you know it doesn't stop you from trying to put you know i don't know something strange in paint elephant poo you know just doesn't stop you from doing that later on you know it, yeah you, for me my brain works better by doing it and experimenting i like the problem solving of it yeah and one idea leads to another and yeah. when you're doing it things evolve isn't it and, and like you know i did woodwork and i learned how to make a mortise and tennis joint and so i was able to oh so that's how you do that and that's mm -hmm. how you learn how to, i can make something like that yeah. if you don't know how joints are done or laser printers work you, you don't actually physically have a go you don't know what the capacity of it is mm. like, that's my feeling and that art is not superior to craft i mean some of the people these craft people the things they make the detail is absolutely amazing right and they are using their creative brains to actually make it so you know let that even if they're making a chair that's been made for hundreds of years this the chairs in their style you know oil painting's been going on for hundreds of years and it's in that your style you know what i mean yes yeah. Craft, no, I think are two same things. I don't think you should look down yeah. your nose or up your nose or whatever. Yeah, I mean, my uh, friends who did um, painting, BA in painting, they then went off to Florence or they go, they, they went off to other places in Europe which have the atelier style still and then spent more money to apprentice with that artist to learn technique and then come back. So I just feel that maybe there should be a rethink from, you know, policy makers and curriculum builders to think about having a mix of both, isn't it? Well, also, if you're looking at going to an art, art school, that's something you need to take into account. You've got to find out, which you can now on the internet, unlike in my day, and find out if the degree you're going to do is going to be all um, in your head, you know, brain power, or actually going to be a physical... My daughter's just been to art school and hers was you know, all about doing it because it was print textile. Yeah. So it was all physically doing stuff. Mm -hmm. But it's design and it's been creative. But yeah, you can't do that. See, that becomes design then because it's it's a different 
genre altogether, isn't it? But they did knitting as well and weaving on theirs. And you need to know, if you're going to be a print designer or a you know a, a, a textile artist you need to know how things are woven, absolutely yeah. how fabrics work that's yeah, true they, you need to know the basics so um you've taught like um people from year two years to 95 years so do you have any kind of preferences in terms of what kind of age group and what kind of people you would like to teach no, I like And how, how did you come to that conclusion about... Um... Um, I've recently done two residencies. Yeah. And um, I did one for a year at um, uh, St. Joseph's, which is a special special needs school. A school that most of the children have autism, but they might have other needs. And they're severely autistic. Amazing what they do with the children there, and um, I did a year there. When I finished there, I had an exhibition and everything, and I thought, right, I'm now going into my garret and I'm going to make heads, and that's and I'm going to sell them and go to galleries, and that's what I'm going to do. And uh, so I started doing that, and I was like, oh, I don't really, oh, I don't know what to do, and I made Elton John and Freddie Mercury and they were exhibited and everything and then I got the opportunity to go to Watts Gallery to be artist in residence the following year and I started teaching again in education groups special needs groups adults and I was like oh oh no this is what I want to do and I cancelled all the gallery all the exhibition stuff I was going to do and I did that teaching was what or sharing my um, knowledge was what I wanted to do which and you're really like good people. at. Yeah, exactly. You're able to engage them with all the stories around your life and all your experience. And it's, they're so funny. <laughs> so that's good. So now let's go to your Ancestry Heads. It's such an amazing project, I feel. How did you come across this? And how did you start? And how did you learn how to make it? And how did the idea come about, rather? Well, when I left the art centre, which was about 11 or 12 years ago now, um, I had the op- could do ancestry, my a- own ancestry, which I did on ancestry head, uh, not that, that's my website, <laughs> ancestry website, which is like a family history website. And I, st- and I was just hooked. I, if you need to waste any time start doing your ancestry you just could get spend hours and hours it's like a big detective story and yeah. linking it all up and you find out all these amazing stories and that's what it was and I was doing Surrey Open Studio doing my textiles my sister was exhibiting with me and somebody else and it wasn't going I wasn't enjoying it um, I didn't um, I wasn't happy I wasn't selling and I started crying a lot that week and I, that week was like a bit of an epiphany for me and I realised that the textiles wasn't working and um, I was just churning stuff out to try and sell and it wasn't selling and I wasn't happy. So I said at the end of the week, I said um, something very brave. I said, um, right, I'm not making any textiles anymore. I'm going to make something for me and me only and I'm going to start making telling the stories of our ancestors. Now, I've done some paper mache, I've done lantern parade, and I've done training for that and things, which is sort of like paper mache, in that you put paper on a structure. And um, so that's how it started. And I wanted to tell these stories, and then I went off and learnt different techniques, took 
knowing I wanted to do this idea where they hang off the wall like a hunting trophy. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's how, like, and each story, each person has, like, their certificates on their faces and photographs on their clothes. And, yeah, that's... So how far back did you go back into your ancestry, like? Uh, well, 17 or 16 something on some sides. I've done my, both my sides, so to speak, which can, thousands of people. Mm. It's amazing how many thousands of people I'm connected to. Um, and um, uh, both, and both sides of my husband's side. And, and But the one thing that got me really going about doing this ancestry was when I started doing Mum said, I've got this suitcase. Right. And full of old photographs of all her relatives and her auntie my great auntie had written on the back with a biro who everyone was and these lovely victorian photos or edwardian photos and there was one particular one of the whole family it, it which is my great great grandpa and my great grandpa mm-hmm. and my great great grandma and my great grandma if you keep up I believe. <laughs> Uh, and um, I, I found out the half those um, people went to South Africa, mm. so I um, decided to follow them, and that's who I started making. I made start. I started with Herbert, my great. So did you visit South Africa to 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 go and you know visit where they lived, and did you do that no. kind of research? No, no, no. One day, maybe. One day maybe. My, my son's been there to work, and I've said, have you been in this district? Oh, yes, yes. And did you fight? No. Oh, not enough time. <laughs> so not yet. Okay. So um, I've seen your uh, great-grand, great-grandfather's portrait. It's really, um, the likeness is amazing with the photographs. So how did you, you, you have to use a lot of imagination because the photographs are obviously 2D and it's black and white and you just have a tiny, tiny face which you have to enlarge so how do you do all that um i don't know <laughs> it just happens i don't analyze it too much because if when i analyze it it's when it goes wrong i think a face is a face i mean we're all slightly different we're all wonky unless you're one of those very beautiful people um so yeah you start off with you can see on the you know because the paint the photographs i had was he was straight on i don't know what his profile is or anything mm, so, exactly but, or even his coloring how do you even decide? but his coloring with I, I sort of guessed that looking at my family that he'd be quite we're, we're all quite pale on that side on my grandpa's side um so that was my mum's mum's side. They're all very pale, mm. um, Irish, brightly coloured eyes and pale skin and dark hair. Right. And then my grandpa's side, they're very, they've got olive skin. We've got a sailor in the family and I think he probably wasn't from England. That's my theory, but I haven't <laughs> proved it yet. It's, uh. it's, in the de- it's not in the DNA, so maybe not. But yeah, they're very dark... Um, olive skin on my so you know that you just a bit of detective work really yeah interesting you've got pale eyes so chances are you you know if from the photographs you can see that he's quite pale so did you uh, come across some interesting stories or like scandalous stories or something that... oh yes lots of scandals <laughs> <laughs> um, but interesting things as well like um on my dad's side um because each night I'd get um, 
might get a bit further and then in, my father wasn't very well so every day morning I'd ring up and tell him where how far I'd got with it and mm-hmm. oh I found this out so one day I find out that his grandma was born in, in Wandsworth prison no in not Wandsworth prison oh oh I can't think of the name a, a prison in London anyway that's Ooh. not got very good yeah. reputation with scrubs and my dad's apologising. Oh, I'm terribly sorry. I'm terribly sorry. <laughs> you know, you've got an ancestor that was born in a prison and what did their mother do and everything. And I said, hang on, hang on, Dad. We don't, I think it isn't a woman's prison, Wormwood's Scrub. I'm not sure. I haven't got any further. Wait, 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 before oh. you start apologising. <laughs> anyway, the next night I find out that her father was a prison officer. Oh, my God. Is that what she it is? Okay. in the grounds. I see, I see. In a staff cottage, but of course that doesn't have it on your... Right, right, right. So, yeah, and he actually good on you to actually go and research all that and find it that you know she was born on the grounds and not really an inmate of yeah. the prison. Yeah, and and her father ended up being a governor of a prison in Aylesbury. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So yeah, that and that, and um, in within ancestry, I have contacted people with my dad's DNA that. Um, have done the same family tree and they've sent me articles about this man who died at 90 something in the Edwardian period and apparently was quite infamous famous in Aylesbury for being the governor of the right so yeah it's, it's I just find it fascinating so how many of your ancestors have you memorialized in your portraits uh, and how do you choose them as in do you go by the stories or by their faces or the fact that you have photographs it's a combination of both, really. It's if I've got a photo of them, or I know, like my, I've done all my grandparents, um, so I knew them. Um, but also, if I just they've got an interesting face and I want to do them. I mean, some of the ancestors in that big picture don't interest me at mm-hmm. all at the moment because they're not my direct descendants. I try and stick to my direct descendants. Right. Otherwise. I have got one that isn't a direct descendant, but she looks remarkably like my mum. Mm. So that's why I did her. And she's like my great, great, great aunt. So you but, were mentioning about how your daughter, when you didn't realise how the likeness was so uncanny. Oh, yeah, yeah tell us about that. Mum's mum, I did, I was doing an exhibition called Face to Face with two photographers and my daughter had gone to university and I'd done my grandma as head and it was on the wall. And I said to my daughter, oh, come and have your photo take with your great-grandma because this couldn't happen because she died when I was very small. Mm. I do remember her. And uh, she, my daughter stood next to my grandma, her great-grandma, and I was like, oh, my goodness. And they look alike. Amazing. And, yeah, and, and I hadn't thought that Kate looked like her till I actually, yeah. So the how? There. Yeah, that's amazing. So how did, did did this progress into commissions? Did you get work? Did you, and um, how did the, you know, how did you get well known and uh, recognized for this? Um, well, I think um, what happened was I was making these heads for me, and I put them on to Facebook, and um, I have um, a family in Greece in Athens, and my uncle actually collects art and he commissioned me he said could you do me two people in our family I don't mind who you surprised me and I thought oh that was nice of him because 
He's never bought any of my work. He, probably, he might listen to this, but he never bought any of my textiles. So um, I said, oh, okay, yeah, I'll, I'll do that. And um, so I made his parents. And oh, then nice. um, there was an exhibition called App Art, which it happens normally every year. It didn't, hasn't happened this year, obviously. Mm-hmm. Uh, Easter. And um, artists all around Surrey and all around England, or maybe even the world, uh, um, applied to go there. And it... A thousand artists' um, work could be their sculpture and thing. And I'd applied a long time ago and never got in, so I thought, well, I'll try with a head. So I did Margaret Thatcher and Harold Wilson for balance. <laughs> um, Harold Wilson was a prime minister in the 70s. Lots of people don't know who mm. Harold Wilson is. It shows my age. He was a pipe-smoking um, man who, yeah. I hope he doesn't have any statues somewhere. <laughs> considering what's happening around now with statues and we, i remember we were all very shocked after he died to find out he was having an affair all his and he was sort of a very old-fashioned man with his secretary or something oh my goodness I have to look it up on google mm. um, but, um so it was yeah, not it, it, so that that fact was not um pasted on his no no i just did quotes on him and oh. margaret thatcher i did uh, the uh, u-turn if you want to this lady's not for turning u-turn if you want to speech and her eyebrows say that this lady's not turning you turn if you want to. so why don't you explain exactly what you mean by that that you take uh, quotes from these people and yeah i take i use quotes if i haven't got the fam they're not at family ancestors and i can't really go and get margaret thatcher's birth certificate yeah i use quotes or um so like the queen's got a quotes and prince philip who have done's got his bopals because yes. he's always Yeah 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 he's he must um, be the most interesting person to yes, <laughs> collect quotes from yeah um so yeah so she had that speech on her face and mm. then so i put it into this exhibition right. and they accepted both of them which was bit oh good and then i got a private message from the husband of the couple that run it saying can you do a secret commission for me and i'm like oh of his wife who's alive Evelyn and um so I had to do that for their 25th wedding anniversary which okay. was unveiled at the private view wow. which was a bit nerve-wracking I know so she had never seen it before the private view no I, and she didn't know that it was commissioned no she had no idea <gasps> oh you're very brave I had it in a big box with a bow because I thought right if it's going to be a surprise you need a bit of time to think about this or, uh, and he said no 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 I don't want to do that I want to take Harold Wilson off the stand because Harold Wilson was a table one um head whereas Margaret was off the wall and I want to put Evelyn's um bust paper mache bust in his place and then I'm going to go and get her and say there's something wrong with Harold Wilson <laughs> okay like, okay I'm not sure well, anyway it's up to you it's your surprise and it had their wedding certificate on her face because it was their wedding anniversary so he goes off and gets in and she's smoothing her client you know she sells a lot of work to, for people right and uh, so he's like and she's like what what's wrong with Harold comes around the corner and has a look at ha- Harold which is not Harold it's her yeah and she had has very short um dark hair and so do I so she's looking at me and looking at the head and and she was very good she you know oh it's lovely but then a bit late about five minutes later on when everything had calmed down everyone was saying how wonderful it was she came and she said that's me isn't it I said, yes. and she actually has it now it was just the shop yeah you know, she was not expecting of her course. Head, 
<laughs> and she didn't want to say it aloud in case it was not. Yeah, yeah, well, me. Um, but it was obviously not me because I wear glasses. <laughs> but um, it served the whole exhibition, so they must like it. And apparently, it sits behind her in her office. Fantastic. Um, somebody, mm. I haven't been there, but somebody was saying she has it on display right behind her. So if she didn't like it, it would probably be in a corner or in a cupboard somewhere. So, yeah, that made me suddenly realise that I had something and that it tells you something. You should do things that you enjoy and you like and do it for you in art, not to make money. Yeah, and this is something that you've kind of... Um, it's a it's a niche you've created. I don't think there's anybody else who does something. I know you were talking about David Farrow who does animal heads. But yeah. then I don't think people actually do of other, you know, ancestors who are not alive and, you know, just from photographs. There are other people that do heads, but they're quite often um, art pieces. Um, they're not, they're not of people's ancestors. Ancestors, yeah, exactly. Or angels and saints and which i've done yeah so, so so does your practice now involve making um uh, paper mache heads and teaching and do you do other residencies with this practice in mind or have you got other things going to well i i had lots of things lined up for this summer mm. residencies in school short i do short-term residencies in school like, um if they get some funding from um, NADFAS and places like that and um, yeah do or do short term like especially in the summer when they're all like winding down a bit um, so I've, I've done I've done that and I've got had some lined up but of course they're, they're not happening this year maybe next year yeah and um, I had um, Watts Gallery um, asked me to do something in the summer so we're still waiting whether that happens um, yes yeah, so, and then do commissions if people want me to do commissions but I quite the teaching I like and then I like like challenging myself I've got a lot of project in mind but I can't tell you anything about it okay so uh, but the online they, they don't know anything about it either so I, I'm at the moment I'm trying to research who I are who to ask but um yeah I'm, I'm fortunate I don't have to earn money for my bread and butter I earn you know, do other things to earn money for bread and butter, the arts. Mm -hmm. It's sort of all, I do all sorts of things. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. Just one thing. And, um, the, and the online teaching has kind of taken off, isn't it, because of the yeah. lockdown? Yeah, well, sorry, arts asked me if I would do it, and I was like, well, yes, yes, no, 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 I'm not going to do it. No, I'm going to, I'm going to say there's not enough people. And then I went, oh, come on now, gave myself a talking to, and... I look back as, and you were on my first one. Yeah. So, um, yeah. are you enjoying it? And do you think it's going to continue once things go back to kind of normal? Oh, I hope so. I mean, mm. I've got another 12-week course starting tomorrow evening. Mm -hmm. uh, heads. And, yeah, and Surrey have just asked me to do some more for them. And they've got an idea for the summer holidays to work with children on Zoom. So... Yeah, just hopefully, and I've got all sorts of ideas in September for different um, workshops. So, yeah, I, I quite enjoy it. It makes it cheaper for the participants because you don't have to pay for my time getting there and all the equipment and everything and everyone, I mean, and then my time going home and, yeah, and then yeah, I don't have to lug boxes in, lug boxes out because that's, 
I don't travel light. Um, and I find it great. And I can reach people like America and Netherlands and, yeah. Um, somebody from Yorkshire. Mm-hmm. Starting tomorrow, so yeah, I think it's it's great. It's I, exciting, it, yeah. Yeah, all sorts of it. I mean, I wouldn't have met you. Yeah, I know. So, <laughs> <laughs> so what advice, uh, Louise, would you give um, upcoming artists, young artists, not so young artists like me, about resilience and determination and all that, all that you um, embody? <laughs> <laughs> well, I think we all. As artists, I think you all worry that it's not right. You have it's not it's not working. It's not one is the one is the recognition, and the other is the monetary bit. Whether you do art for selling, or you do art for yourself, like you said, and if it works, art that you do for yourself, if that sells, that's perfect. And the second is all this thing about being recognized and awards. How important is that for you? Um, it's not. It's not important for me to be recognised. I mean, I'm recognised within Surrey. Yeah. Um, my, my little pond is getting wider. I mean, my village, everyone knew who I was and what I did. And now the pond's got wider. Yeah. I think I have to make the pond wider. It's not going to come to me. I have to market myself, tell people. Yeah. You, could, you could be the best paper mache artist in the world but if you sit there and no, don't tell anyone mm. about it nobody's ever going to know about you yeah that is one thing i think all our artists and art students and older younger whatever you have to even if you're the best person in the world and university tell you you're the that's not the problem it's artists who think who always think that they're not good enough that's the problem it's because artists are never really sure of any artists who don't who think they're not good enough sorry and every artist i know thinks they're not good enough yeah exactly so that's when you know this thing comes up about insecurity about oh do i even like let people know about it what what will the reaction be so i guess one has to get over that and just go out there and advertise. Well, I think that's why you have to do it for yourself and something you love to do mm. because you've got to do put the commitment behind it. If it's something, I think people, well, I hope people know when it's not true. Yeah. I think it's got to be true to you. Um, so that you can actually talk about it and defend your artwork isn't it because i mean yeah i i do and hopefully you won't but art speak at everyone i hate that yeah <laughs> never been any good at art speak mm. um but yeah i mean but, there will always be somebody who's doing but well you think is doing better than you and they look like they're selling a lot of work and they're doing fabulously but that's fine, that's up to them, and maybe they're not. Maybe it's just all a, um, the emperor's new clothes. You just, you know. Yeah. And, um, yeah, that's the, I guess we've taken a lot of your time. It's for 50 minutes already. So um, it's been such a pleasure, Louise, talking to you, and thank you so much for sharing your life story about your projects and advice for other artists and all the best for your future 
projects <laughs> and uh, see you in the next class then <laughs> yeah and thank you for inviting me it's yeah, been great it's been a pleasure thanks, thanks. louise bye